Welcome to Amped Up with Proud Resistor. This is progressive activist Ryan Knight. And I'm Chris Lavoie of The Stephanie Miller Show. And our guest today is a democratic socialist and a comedian, and she is running for Congress in New York's 12th district, Lauren Ashcraft. Welcome to Amped Up. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here speaking with both of you today. Yeah, so I, I just want to kind of start out and um, why don't you give us a, a quick little introduction? Uh, it's your first time on the show. Tell us kind of, you know, who you are, a little bit about your background and, and why you're running for Congress. Sure. So I am running because New York's 12th congressional district is such a vivid representation of inequality. So I'm sitting in Queens in Long Island City, and there's a very physical divide of the East River. So if I look outside my window, I see the largest public housing complex in the entire Western Hemisphere, Queensbridge. And it's filled with amazing people, and I spend a lot of time there. And I've literally seen with my own eyes that these buildings are infested with rats. Um, people with disabilities live on the top floor and the elevator doesn't get them there, so they crawl up the stairs. It's just a completely forgotten community in terms of uh, representation. And across the river, I see uh, the Upper East Side and I mm. see luxury condominiums. And so New York's 12th Congressional District is the home of Billionaire Row, but also of thousands of people that are sleeping on the street. And, and these numbers are rising because people have lost their job. People don't have any kind of assistance to help cancel rent. People don't know what to do and are living paycheck to paycheck in this community. So it is a misconception that this whole district is rich. We're struggling. And um, there are a lot of young people. There are a lot of artists that have two or three jobs to get by. And we're all hit very hard by this crisis. Now, I'm up against an opponent who thinks it's her job to passively lead and sometimes sign on to stuff. And we saw that with 25 years of her not doing anything for the environment. In fact, she played roles in moving waste transfer stations from the Upper East Side to Brooklyn inside of my community. Um, and we have seen things that have helped her very small community in the Upper East Side. But in terms of, you know, the Green New Deal, she never came up with ideas like that. She waited 25, 26 years for a freshman congresswoman to get into office and come up with the idea that she signed on to. Mm. And so that's the kind of leadership that we've had. We have somebody who kind of sits there and takes up space and signs on to stuff every once in a while. Unfortunately, a lot of the stuff she signs on to is really bad for all of us. She voted for the Iraq war. She opposed the Iran nuclear deal. Um, and she, uh, yes, voted to increase and inflate the military budget in 2019. And now with the postal system really struggling to survive, um, we researched that she was part of the House bill in 2005 that um, created this mess and required the USPS to have decades of retirement saved away for its employees, which no other uh, federal uh, office administration is required to do the same thing. So she's done a lot that's actually harmed us 
and occasionally signs on to things that are helpful to us. So what I am running for is to make sure that the people on this side of the river, the people on that side of the river that um, are working class people, that all of us who've gone ignored for all this time finally have an equal voice and equal representation. And I'm running to make sure we're empowered, we're elevated, and we close the holes that we're seeing so clearly um, by how we're being exposed physically, economically, and also emotionally during this coronavirus pandemic. Um, we're seeing that we weren't prepared at all, that the, the relief is geared towards huge corporations and even, for example, small businesses are suffering and don't have the help they need. My partner's um, small company cannot get the loan um, because those have already been snatched up by huge corporations that have fancy finance people filling out the application for them. So, TLDR, <laughs> I am running <laughs> to make sure that someone's actually fighting for us because passively signing on to stuff isn't enough anymore and look where it's got us. The status yep. quo literally kills people and we have the opportunity to choose between the status quo and real change. Well, you know, the your district is actually very repre representative of the entire country right now. Yes. Because even before the pandemic hit, income inequality in this country was already at, a, at the highest it's ever been in a half century, right? Mm -hmm. The disparity between between the the rich and the poor is the greatest that it's been in this country in over 50 years. Then a pandemic hits, right? So a lot of Americans were already in a crisis before. Yeah. Now they're even in a bigger crisis. And um, you know, if we just want, I want to step back a little bit, you know, and look at kind of some of the numbers we're seeing. The United States now has 22 million unemployed, as our economy sinks toward a depression-like scenario. The American people are waiting in 10-hour food lines. Millions are struggling to afford basic necessities like food, housing, and health care. And yet, while the people are struggling, the rich are getting even richer. Last week alone, Jeff Bezos' wealth increased in one week by $6.8 billion. And Mark Zuckerberg's wealth increased last week by $6.2 billion. Lauren, is this pandemic highlighting the cruel reality of how capitalism is failing the majority of the people? Absolutely, yes. And that is such, such a vivid example of exactly what we're facing. Our entire taxation system, all kinds of relief and handouts, it's all for the billionaires and huge corporations. And I actually used to work in the financial sector um, in, in Manhattan. It was soul-sucking and I hated <laughs> my life. Um, I worked in corporate finance in my 20s. I hear you. You get it. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's where I became a democratic socialist of him being completely blunt. And I saw firsthand how all of the relief in our society is geared towards these companies. And it doesn't trickle down. The entire financial industry um, after getting all of these tax cuts from the Trump administration, you can see the layoff numbers and they didn't decrease. And in New York City, there are so many people in the financial sector who are losing their jobs because they're given a choice to uh, relocate to Arizona or Texas or Argentina um, because it's cheaper there. 
And that's the same thing as being laid off because not everyone can just dump everything and, and move their entire family away from everything that they know, especially to a foreign country. Um, so we just keep seeing this isn't working. Capitalism doesn't work. And we we keep electing people who are funded by these corporations and these CEOs and nothing's going to change until we replace them. So my opponent takes a lot of money, uh, a lot of corporate PAC money. Her largest donor of all time is J.P. Morgan Chase. And um, it makes a lot of sense that we have a bunch of people sitting in office who prioritize the needs of these corporations over any of us. Mm -hmm. When we have a government that the first thing they did when this pandemic hit is they rushed to bail out these giant corporations, right? And then they threw breadcrumbs to the people. When you have a government like that, our, it means that you're not, we're not living in a social democracy like they are over in Europe. We are living in a corrupt plutocracy. And the only thing that's gonna change that is radical change. Like we need radical change in this country. Unfortunately, what we just saw in the Democratic primary is our, you know, everyone is scared of the change that we need. You know, that's kind of the big hurdle. People are so afraid because the system has been in in play for so long. You talk about trickle-down economics. You know, it really got bad with Reagan, and it's just continued since Reagan, and it hasn't worked, right? The money doesn't trickle down. And we also know that the stock market, like right now the stock market is, is doing great. The last week, last week it had one of its best weeks in year, you know, in like in, in like almost 50 years. And when you look at that, you've got American workers being laid off, yet the stock market is increasing because the stock market is not the economy, right? No, exactly. And, and half of people don't even own stocks. So one of the big problems is we don't even have a barometer to measure wealth for working people. Because the other thing they want to use is the unemployment rate. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, now the unemployment rate is increasing, right? We're, mm. we're it's getting up there, but still, even when it was a little low before the pandemic, it doesn't matter because wages are so stagnant. People are, you know, people aren't earning a living wage. So the unemployment rate, say it can be low, but people are having to work two and three jobs. And so that measure doesn't capture that. You know, for me, this pandemic has highlighted the real problem in America. We have way too much socialism, socialism for the rich and barely any socialism for everybody else, for the 99%, right? Mm-hmm. What did the corporations do as soon as this happened? They cried out for the government to be bailed out, right? While the people got barely anything. Yeah. That's um, not a very free market of them, by the way. Absolutely. A free market would just let the business fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a meme that, that went super viral, um, it's, and it's brilliant. It said, the number of billionaires pushing everyone to go back to work early proves one thing and one thing only. They don't make their money. You do. <laughs> is this a yep. moment for workers to organize and understand their true power? Yes. Yes. And I actually, I've seen talk of um, a strike after this. Um, yep. of, of course, I, I'm worried mostly about the safety of, of the people. So Um, I see nurses still having to go to work without masks. I see janitors still having to go to work without masks. I speak with caretakers that go to work without masks in in my district and in my volunteer team. And um, 
it, it just goes to show. I, I see these calls to die for our economy, and it's like no amount of money would make up for the fact that we're losing tens of thousands of people. It's not worth it. People matter more than money, and until we get past this idea, we're not going to get anywhere. So, yeah, it's, it's really highlighting this problem. And, yeah, billionaires, I, I, I have very strong opinions on billionaires. I feel as though they didn't earn billions of dollars and that nobody can. They exploited it. Mm. And we saw that with Jeff Bezos um, and Amazon asking people to donate their paid leave to other employees. And I'm like, you're the richest man in the world. You personally could fund everyone's paid leave and make it really generous. But he's just sitting there drinking mimosas or some shit. I have no idea what he's up to, but like, that's how billionaires get their money is they cheat people. And well, like, it's, it's even worse what Bezos did. He's made $24 billion this year, and he put out, the company put out an Amazon relief fund to help uh, give some relief to some of their um, kind of part time gig workers making the American people who are struggling and waiting in 10-hour food lines donate to an Amazon relief fund. That, to me, is like, that is why we need a wealth tax. Mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos can't be trusted on to, with, with no. all that money. That money needs to be taxed, and it needs to be redistributed to the people. Yeah, exactly. And I, I see all these people being like, oh, so-and-so donated like a thousand ventilators. And it's like, thanks so much. If we taxed them their fair share, the yeah. government could be doing that. Well, so. and, and the amount they donate, there's that stupid talking point always like, oh, but they donate money to charity every year. There was a report that someone did, the, the, the top 10 billionaires, they donate like 0.01% or something of their annual salary. It's less it's a tax write-off. So it's like, it's literally like if you or me donated $10 or hundred, you know what I mean? That's the equivalent for them. And, yeah. and you know if it wasn't a tax write-off, they wouldn't donate this kind of money. No, they don't care. They don't, care. They don't give a shit at all. Nope. Lauren, you tweeted uh, yesterday, I thought it was brilliant. You said, the American dream of if you just work hard enough, you can be a billionaire too, is propaganda. Is If this offends you, the propaganda worked. The sooner we move past this and write into law all the rights we are owed as working class people, the stronger we will be. I mean, hand clap. Mm -hmm. Thank you. What are these rights that, that every worker should be owed? I mean, we're seeing it right now, paid leave for one thing, um, safety, uh, hazard pay if you're forced to go to work in hazardous conditions. I mean, we saw that a whistleblower in Amazon got fired for staging a protest. We need stronger protections for going to the media and letting people know that really bad things are happening within a uh, company. Um, making sure that every single person can live in dignity and doesn't have to um, live on food stamps if you're working full time. Um, making wages livable is is the bare minimum. And uh, we're just not seeing any of these things happen. We need to also protect um, any desire to unionize as well and organize. And we saw that not happen at Amazon, which is why this man got fired. I know they're citing that he got too close to other employees, but come on. 
Yeah. Um, we all know. <laughs> um, yeah, but we're really seeing all of this highlighted right now. We're the only first world country with no guaranteed paid med- uh, paid leave from work. And I have no idea, well, I do have an idea how we got here, and it's because our representatives get money funneled to them by these corporations that certainly don't want us to be able to have paid leave. And the other thing that someone actually just reached out to me the other day in a DM, they lost their job because of coronavirus, but had a bunch of vacation accrued that they were planning to use at some point. And there is no law protecting them from being getting that paid out to them. So all of this time that he worked and saved up what's equivalent to money, but is actually vacation time just disappeared and the company just gets to keep that and um, profit off of people getting laid off, I guess. Yeah. What do you just kind of bring the conversation full circle? So we know that we need real change in this country, right? It's so obvious when you look at the just the massive levels of inequality and injustice in this country, particularly against working people and against marginalized communities and against, you know, predominant communities of color. Yet, despite the fact that we, we, we need this real change, we're not nece- people aren't necessarily voting for the candidates who are offering bold change. You know, one mm-hmm. of the things I always say about, you know, progressive policies like Medicare for all and a Green New Deal and a wealth tax and universal childcare. The reason those policies are so important and it's so important that we fight for them is that those policies are written and geared, they're like prescriptions to heal the massive levels of inequality in this country. For mm-hmm. example, Medicare for all and universal childcare, those two programs in and of itself will save an average working family up to $15,000 a year, right? Between universal childcare and Medicare for all. What is the, why are, why are people so afraid of this change? What is stopping them from voting for the change that we, that we desperately need? What do you think it is? Mm, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And uh, another thing that I want to highlight is our voting system isn't fair. Um, mm. I don't. I didn't get to participate in the presidential primary yet, and we pretty much know who the nominee is going to be. I live in the second largest democratic state in the country, and we never get to influence who our president's going to be. So um, there's a lot that I would like to fix in terms of how um, how our entire voting system works. Also, automatic voter registration, mail-in ballots with prepaid postage. For everyone that has a valid address and um, excuse-free absentee voting available to everyone who we don't have an address for. Um, And also just making sure that there's no way you can lose your voting rights. In New York, um, voters are purged if they're inactive for a certain period of time. And it's like, why? (laughs) You might have skipped a couple of elections, which don't do that for many (laughs) reasons. But... It's your business who you vote for, and if you take a couple elections off and then decide that you're um, inspired by somebody and want to go vote for them, you couldn't. So there should be no reason you should ever lose your voting right, including um, criminal history, because we also just have a major um, mass incarceration problem in our country anyway, and I don't believe that a lot of the reasons 
that people are sitting in jail or prison are valid anyway. So um, the fact that a lot of people all across the United States lose their right to vote because of injustice in our society is something else that I'm fighting for. If everyone who wanted to vote could vote, then I think we would see differences in how we're being represented. But yeah, there are so many different ways. I know that we just sent a petition to um, Governor Cuomo asking him to leave the presidential primary on the ballot for June 23rd. That's the date that my election is. And it was the date that we were going to also vote for the, um, the presidential nominee in the Democratic Party. But they're thinking of removing that, which would impact our number of delegates and impact our ability to influence the national platform. Right. So there's just so many different ways that we're prevented from being able to use our voice. And I can't stand when people say like, oh, like millennials just don't vote. Man, people try. People try and they stand in line in the middle of coronavirus and they wait to vote. And there are so many things preventing people from being able to use their voice. Well, we did see, you know, in certain states like in Texas, you know, when the race was still very close, there were in, in college towns or when in places where college students or more younger students voted, they were waiting in line for like eight hours. Mm-hmm. You know, so there is a level of, you know, where the younger people vote, it is harder for them. They are waiting in longer lines. And, you know, if you're a millennial, too, a lot of those people don't have the 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 time to wait for more than two to four hours because exactly you know and so it's it, it always seems like our system is geared to you know to it is harder on the people who need the change the most you know and disincentivizes them you know we need to be encouraging everyone to vote the other issue i think is as important as the presidential race is and to have a president who supports uh, a progressive agenda that is going to help the most vulnerable think it's important and this is one thing i'm putting a lot of my attention on right now going forward is to understand that the the president is the one who will sign medicare for all in in in, into law but the one who will actually pass that law and who writes the laws and who gets it to the president's desk is our congress Mm -hmm. so if you want medicare for all and if you want a green new deal then you gotta get out and support and vote and fundraise and volunteer for candidates like Lauren Ashcraft supports Medicare for all, right? Like we really want these policies, then we gotta get out and fight and elect a Congress who will support them. And I also think it means we have to be honest, like corporate, is a corporate Democrat better than a Republican? Sure, yes, on social issues I'll say sure. But is a progressive Democrat better than a corporate Democrat? 150%, especially when we have this level of inequality. So we got to be more honest about, like you said in the beginning of the podcast, on how there is the corporate wing of the Democratic Party is reluctant to fight for the real change we need for the people because that they're because of their corporate donors. Yes. Because they get this big corporate money. And so it's just like, think of it very simply, like, Whoever gives you the money is who you're going to fight for. Progressive, yeah. you raise grassroots money. I saw you tweet out this morning. You have the most grassroots fun- donors in your district. Yeah. So obviously, if you, we get you in there, you're going to fight for the people who fundraise for you, which is mostly working class people. Yes. Democrats get big checks from corporations, so they're going to more fight for them, right? I mean, that's exactly. pretty much it. Exactly. And that's why 
you know, it, it wouldn't make sense that my opponent calls herself a progressive, but has voted for every war that she could in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you can look and see that she's accepted over $50,000 from weapons manufacturers. So it like, if you ever have questions and definitely before you vote, just go to opensecrets.com, just do some due diligence and look to see who's donating to the candidates you're supporting. And it's really illuminating it's 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 so important and that's also why i know i am fighting melanie dorigo a lot of the people um that i work with that are running for congress as well we're fighting to get that big money out of politics so that we are the only influence and that can happen when there's enough of us in congress that are grassroots funded it's not going to happen if we keep putting people like my opponent into office right um, let's talk about our government's response to the coronavirus. Uh, our government rushed to bail out giant corporations, as we talked about earlier, and, and basically gave breadcrumbs to its people. Uh, this last week, Steve Mnuchin went on television and said that Americans can live on $1,200 for 10 weeks. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, that, oh, God, that's out of touch. Wow. That, to $120 per week and $17 per day. Uh, for those who don't know, Steve Mnuchin is Trump's uh, uh, Treasury Secretary. Um, my question for you is, can Americans live on $1,200 for 10 weeks? And if you were in Congress, what kind of response would you be pushing for? So to Mnuchin's comment, I don't think like my eyes have rolled the entire way around, did like a full 360. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, and and every week I say that the whole Trump administration, I keep thinking I know the depths of their um, lack of connection to the real world, but every week I'm actually shocked because there's something new and I'm, it's, it's more terrible all the time. And we absolutely have to get him out of the White House as soon as possible. Um, But no, I'm in New York's 12th Congressional District. I ended up getting $400 as my my relief. And that pays for exactly one-fourth of one month of my rent. Wow. So um, no, Uh, no. Also, New York's 12th Congressional District, the median income is around $100,000. And that's, for New York's 12th Congressional District, if you have a family or anyone you're supporting, um, or if you're just living alone, um, I, before I shared a one-bedroom with somebody, I was living in a, an infested um, studio in Turtle Bay, that was right next to where everyone in the building places their garbage. And um, my window view was of the brick building next door. It was about like one foot away. So (laughs) it was very dark and sad and and infested with cockroaches. And that's what you can afford. I never made six figures, but I made in the 80s. And that's the best I could get. So whenever you're talking about Oh, like the cutoff for getting the full $1,200 is $75,000. There goes my district, mm. a lot of my district. And we're not living 
um, in, in luxury here. That's just what it costs to survive. And um, that's why I ended up getting $400 as my relief, which does nothing, nothing at all. And our state government also hasn't canceled rent. Our federal government hasn't canceled rent. And um, I get shown text messages that people's landlords are sending them, harassing them for the money. Mm. So um, I have a lot of questions about why I see all of this help going to these huge corporations when 70% of my district is renting and we have no idea how to pay for our rent that we haven't paid for April. May is coming up in two weeks and there are no answers. So the, the relief is not enough. It's not sufficient. And one of the things I like to do um, with the whatever platform I have available is to correct this misconception that the federal budget is what we can afford. Um, the federal government pays for things through congressional appropriations, and the federal government is a list of our priorities. There is no what we can afford, what we can't afford, because um, having a deficit does not necessarily negatively impact us at all. Um, actually, it means that we have a surplus in the private economy, which means that there's more cash floating around for people like us. So we have this, I, I would call it propaganda too, that mm -hmm. we feel like personally offended if there's a program that costs money that maybe we're not directly benefiting from. But if we, as a society, are taking care of people, we all benefit. And, and I would love to challenge all of my future coworkers and everyone to answer one question. Why can't we just, for once, try trickle-up economics? Mm -hmm. Trickle-down has never worked, but why don't we try giving the purchasing power to the people and they will be able to spend and buy things and that will trickle up to corporations. That's how it's supposed to work in the first place. But yep. every time we hand jillions of dollars to CEOs, it stays in their pockets. And that's, that's how it was designed because those people donate to the politicians that keep making these ridiculous decisions. Yeah, I love that idea about trickle up economics. Every time we see a crash happen, it's because the money stops trickling down, right? The people who stimulate the economy are the working class and the middle class. They're the ones who are going out and buying Starbucks. They're the ones who are buying sneakers and buying iPhones. If there's no money in the pockets of the American people, the corporations do worse off. So I've never understood this idea of just this blind capitalism that we have now because it's actually hurting these CEOs and it's hurting the corporations. One other thing that I wanna talk about that really bugs me is we never talk about how we're going to pay for it when it comes to the endless wars and when it comes <laughs> to the corporate bailouts. You never hear anymore, well, how are we going to pay for that corporate bailout or how are we going to pay to keep bombing people? Yet when it comes to programs like Medicare for All or programs you know, like universal childcare, we're always, that's the first question you hear on CNN and MSNBC throughout the Democratic primaries. How are we going to pay for it? Why is there that double standard that we, we have unlimited amounts of money to go to war and we have unlimited amounts of money to bail out corporations, but there's never enough money to take care of our people? It's really successful messaging. And I have to applaud everyone for decades. I know 
my economics uh, education, I'm, I was, you know, taught the same thing. And me learning about MMT and learning about how we don't have to tax back a dollar for every dollar we spend, I actually was angry. And I was like, that's bullshit. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And the more I learned about it, and the more that I just kind of let myself be open to the concept of we've been lied to <laughs> forever, um, the more I just want to use my platform to tell everyone that, yeah, the reason that we don't get things paid for that help us is because it would hurt our representatives, big corporate donors. Like, why don't we have Medicare for all? None of the private health insurance industry or pharmaceutical industry would donate to our representatives anymore because they might not even exist. Yep. Um, if there was yeah. a deal, there goes all the fossil fuel money. Exactly. There goes all the fossil fuel donations to, to exactly. line up. Exactly. Yeah, but we can pay for war because they get weapons manufacturers money. That's, that's exactly the, the root of the problem. And the fact that we think that, like, we see our federal budget like a household budget where, like, if I can't pay my rent, I could be evicted. There's nothing like that that happens to us. We deficit spend all the time and nobody thinks about it unless... It's for things like Medicare for all, where no one has to be afraid to go to the doctor. I don't get it, but the messaging has been wildly successful, and I, um, I'm impressed, but we have to tackle it together. And the more that I can use my platform, and I know you use your platform to dispel that myth as well, the more that we just keep talking about the fact that that's all a lie, I think the more we can change that conversation. Right. I also think they've done a good job of demonizing socialism, right? Or yeah. any type of thing that involves, you know, socialism or democratic socialism. You know, one thing that one myth that I like to bust is democratic socialism, the way it's outlined by Bernie and, and the programs we talk about, that won't even get rid of capitalism altogether. Mm -hmm. Right. Capitalism will still exist. It would just balance it out. Democratic socialism essentially will create a much bigger safety net for working class and poor people so that capitalism works a little bit better, so it's more sustainable. So it act, in, in a weird way, democratic socialism is the only way to save capitalism from eating itself, right? It's not about, and, and that's where I think like, there are some people who just wanna get rid of capitalism altogether. I'm actually not one of those people. What I want is a system that's blended, that's like 50% capitalism, 50% democratic socialism. So we have a much bigger safety net with programs like Medicare for All, universal childcare, and universal public college, and even universal basic income. So there is that safety net that when, when capitalism you know, pushes people down, they have something to fall back on, and we don't mm -hmm. see massive levels of inequality in our country. Is that a, a fair way to assess it? Yeah, we, we also have a very rabid form of capitalism here, and it, it's astounding that our, our workers and people working at these corporations don't have basic rights that Germany and France and Spain and, like, all of these countries that we should be equivalent to, right. they don't, we don't have those, those laws, so it's not even capitalism what we have here, it's something really bizarre and as soon as there's something happening with the economy as you mentioned before 
the airlines want to be bailed out. They want all this money just flowing to them. But if the people want to be bailed out, ooh, then it's socialism. And and I, it's it's really upsetting. It's um, it's upsetting. And I know that one of the obstacles that I face as a candidate, like I'm a democratic socialist, and I I don't even flinch when I say that because it's true. But Me there's too. this. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this thing that like every once in a while, like every so often I hit like somebody that I'm calling and they're like, oh, you're a communist and hang up the phone. <laughs> there's still something there like from uh, from the Cold War era. I don't know why. But again, it's just like really successful messaging. I have nothing to do with communism. <laughs> Um, and I would love to spend time educating the public about what communism is, and I have nothing to do with it. We're not related at all. But um, but whenever we throw, we just have just a flow, a funnel of money going right to the CEOs, and nobody flinches. Well, and I would say that we have a lot of socialism in America. We just have corporate socialism, where we have... Yeah corporations that are getting bailouts, they're getting massive subsidies, they're getting massive tax breaks. And again, the system is, as it's set up is unsustainable, you know, and, and that's where I get worried, you know, people are scared of change, but for me, what's even scarier are the consequences of not changing, of mm. the consequences of, of allowing this inequality to continue, of allowing the cl climate catastrophes to continue. You know, we're just, it feels like we're at this precipice where we gotta change. Like, we don't have an option. Like, we have to change. Um, and the other thing was interesting to me is, you know, I feel like at some point people stopped demanding more from our politicians and from our government. Mm -hmm. And what's dangerous about that is, you know who didn't stop demanding more from our politicians and our government? Corporations and billionaires. Oh, yeah. They're, those exactly. lobbyists who work for those corporations, they're knocking on our, our Congress people's door every day. So when we're not demanding more from, from our presidential candidates, from our congressional candidates, get, corporations will. And so that's oh, where yeah. we have to keep coming together to take this government back. And that's where also, for me, Trump is a symptom. Yeah, Trump is bad and we gotta get rid of Trump this cycle. Of course, we gotta, we, but if you think just getting rid of him is gonna magically fix all these problems, you're living in a fairy tale. Because, because before Trump and after Trump, we're still gonna have our rigged economy and we're yeah. still gonna have this corrupt government and corrupt campaign finance system and we're still gonna have a broken healthcare system. So we can't just pretend Trump is, is everything you know is, is responsible for all of it yeah he's horrible and we got to get rid of him but we also have to have systemic change or we'll get another trump in eight years totally and i believe we well for many reasons we ended up with biden as our nominee but i think people vote out of fear and why why is it that we always it's like we feel like we don't deserve any better than somebody who takes a bunch of fossil fuel money. Like, yep. I don't understand. We deserve so much better and we can have so much better. And that's, it is why I'm running for Congress is somebody's going to need to push whoever's sitting in that White House to fight for us. Yep. And the bills start with us and they're going to be good. And um, I'm going to spend my platform, I'm going to spend my time and my advocacy 
pushing for us to finally be the priority over these corporations. Mm. Yeah, and it, you, you hit the nail on the head right there. If you want better, you got to fight for better. You know, yeah. especially in this country, you know, that's what democracy is all about. Uh, this week, uh, Bernie Sanders endorsed Joe Biden. And the quote that the media is running with is where Bernie said it would be irresponsible to not support Biden. But the part they left off was the very next sentence where Bernie said that we need to do everything we can to push Joe Biden in a more progressive direction. Yes. Um, if the soul of our democracy is truly at stake, and I believe it is, then why doesn't Joe Biden embrace a more progressive agenda? As it will help energize our progressive base, the youth vote, and independent voters who show they overwhelmingly support Medicare for all. Um, in doing so, because if that's the way I look at it, like Joe Biden embracing a progressive agenda, it's going to help him expand his coalition and it helps the most vulnerable in our country. So it's a win win. Like, why is this controversial that Joe Biden should embrace a more progressive agenda? I, I mean, I have so many qualms with his plan for a public option um, and also him calling for coronavirus treatment to be covered right now. It's like, what? Um, is is my need for a therapist, um, is my neighbor's need for like a therapist for losing a loved one covered? Like, where's the line and what kind of shitty paperwork are you going to make people have to do and argue for like four months to get uh, their money back, which they probably don't have because they lost their job. So um, I don't understand He's also like cited his son as a reason he won't fight for Medicare for all. And that doesn't make sense to me because if you lose a loved one, which is, is very, very sad and traumatic, it should be all the more reason to see why, you know, if you were able to afford and get coverage, that's, you know, what everybody should be able to have. And if you struggle to pay for anything, don't you want to prevent anyone else from having to go through that? Um, I think it shows he's out of touch and also doesn't want to lose um, big donors. And I agree with you. I know a lot of people sitting on the fence um, between voting green and voting for Joe Biden and they're waiting for him to um, support Medicare for all. And without that, he's going to lose a lot of the, the left. And I know personally that we have to get Trump out of office and the next person in line to do that job is Joe Biden right now. And I think four more years of Trump would be absolutely terrible for our country. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yep. who my cat is named after, I'm a uh, huge fan. Awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, I don't think, I'm just going to be blunt, I don't think she has former years of being a Supreme Court justice in her, um, although I love her very much. Um, it's very scary. We can't have more Kavanaugh's or worse on the Supreme Court, and um, we have to replace, we have to replace this guy. It's unfortunate that we ended up with a candidate that has sexual assault allegations against him and um, and also refuses to sign on to a very, very popular policy that would save lives. Yeah, I look at it. I look at it just from when I when I first looked at 2016, 
I hadn't, you know, kind of looked under the hood of the car and seen all the systemic issues of America. So like my original diagnosis of 2016 was that some people on the left cost us, right? That it was, it was the Bernie or Busters. That was the reason Hillary didn't win. After three years of doing grassroots activism and talking to people around the country and seeing how, how many people are struggling, that's not how I diagnose it anymore. The reason I believe Hillary lost is because she took the left for granted. You can't take a base of voters for granted, not reach out to them, not, not expand your coalition to include them, and then blame the voters you took for granted when you don't win, right? Totally. So the way I look at it, like Trump, Donald Trump has his base locked up. Like those Trump supporters, they're not going anywhere. He's got his right wing base locked up. Biden has the center, center locked up, right? He's got all the centrists on board. So Joe Biden, when you just think of it politically, he can either move right to expand his coalition or he can move left to expand his coalition. And considering that Trump is going to win 95% of Republican voters on election day, it just makes way more sense for Biden to move left. Like it, it shouldn't even be controversial. Like, and, and the fact that Trump does have his base locked up that gives him the freedom to then go and try to pinch off voters in the center or even some voters on the left. It, it really frees Trump up because you know that base of his is locked up. So Biden wants to go and try to win over, like, you know what I mean? And, and I honestly, I think it has something to do with the corporate media. You know, you see Bill Kristoff and Jennifer Rubin and you see like the 10 never Trump Republicans that are on CNN and MSNBC all the time. Okay, I get it. But if you think we're gonna beat Trump by chasing and trying to win over Republicans and ignoring millions of progressive voters, like that's just bad math, right? Like yeah. there's not enough yeah. Trump Republicans to get Biden in office. Yeah, we'll probably get 5% of them, but yeah, those are the people who don't like Trump, they already don't like him, so they're not gonna vote for him. So we gotta, Biden has to win over this huge progressive base. And the way I look at it is like, we're handing him a blueprint to do it. We're saying just, just, I don't even care if it's Medicare for all or if it's a Green New Deal or free college or universal child care wealth tax. Pick two of the policies. Pick two of the totally. progressive policies. You don't have to do all of it. Meet us halfway. Because if he does that, I think he's going to win hands down because he's going to yeah. have. And the other thing I think is like Joe Biden, 53 percent of the Democratic Party is moderate. OK, mm -hmm. only 53 percent. So the other 47% is progressive. So he won the, the, yeah, he won the nomination, but now he has to expand beyond that 53%. Totally. And that's the whole point. He has to expand his coalition. So that's what progressives like me, like I've been trying to help him bring in the left. And yet we're being demonized because people are like, you just need to shut up and sit down and get on board. And I'm like, that is not a very good voter outreach strategy. I no. get it. Trump is scary, but we got to be more than just, Trump is scary. We have to give people something to vote for, not totally. just. And I, I know like I've gotten lumped in with like the term Bernie bro. And like I, I, I'm a very avid supporter of Bernie Sanders and his platform, but I've never said anything attacking to anyone. But the fact that I get called all sorts of names for suggesting that Biden, um, uh, adopt Medicare for all. It's like, man, I I really want Trump out of office, but you're making this very difficult. <laughs> like, right. 
I I wish I could like you more, but it's making it very hard. And like I'm not even I've I'm not a never Biden. Like I've always no. said I will support the nominee. I just want to see our nominees support policies that will excite the base. You know? Yeah. And and one thing like I wrote this down earlier this week, like Republicans never moderate their message to appeal to Democrats, right? They never moderate what they're doing to appeal to us. They run on a white nationalist agenda to excite their base. Yeah. Democrats always moderate their message to appeal to Republicans. Democrats run away from the progressive policies that excite their base. This to me is why we lose. Like you're running away yeah. from what is gonna get people out to vote. Yeah, and Trump is a Trump is a maniac, but he is politically very smart. And if you pay attention to his Twitter, he's trying very hard to appeal to disenfranchised voters on the left right now. And he might be successful uh, at getting some of them to come over because he's messaging in a way that is like, hey, clearly, clearly your party doesn't care about you or your vote or your voice. So come over to my side because I don't know what what he could offer because it's really scary to have him as a president. But um, he he, well, he at least, lied. He yeah. lied. Try to get you know. It's all propaganda. Yes, it is propaganda, but at least like he's reaching out to the left and the left is reaching out to Biden and getting completely shut down and attacked. And it's a very bad, I'm very worried because I want Trump to get out as soon as possible. That's my main goal. But I just, I am at a loss for words the way that this is being set up. Like, Hillary Hillary lost, and I agree with you on the reasoning, and as somebody who grew up in the Midwest, in western Pennsylvania, I saw um, the, the Clinton campaign just kind of breeze over, like Michigan and Wisconsin and, and the Midwest, and I just feel like, like you said, they take their base and the party for granted, and are yep. thinking about how are we going to get Republican voters the thing is, like you said, Trump has his base and they're not going anywhere. He could right. like eat a puppy live on TV and no one would flinch. <laughs> they would still vote for him. Yeah. But but the Democratic Party has to be won. And and I don't see that happening. I would love to see it happening and whenever I try to get Biden to sign on to Medicare for all, I am doing so with the intentions of helping him beat Trump. Yes. But, yeah, and also saving people. Well, Trump, you know, Trump won the election by telling his base exactly what they wanted to hear, right? He was going to build a wall. You know, he was and, and that worked. Like people stood in line, his base were energized because of that, right? That you know, and and so the Republicans, they know they give their base what they want and then their base gives them power. Look at the Joe Biden right now. Like the base wants Medicare for all and a green new deal. And he's not, he's like, okay, well, I'll lower the, med, I'll lower Medicare to 60. And I, you know, I don't really support Medicare, uh, a Green New Deal. I kind of, you know, I support the framework of it. So, you know, you got one party that's playing to their base and, and, and giving the base what they want. And then you have another party that's kind of playing to the center and not, and kind of ignoring their base and not giving their base what they want. And that to me is just not a winning strategy. 
here's a quote from Chuck Schumer in, in 2016 on Hillary's strategy to beat Trump. For every blue collar Democrat that we lose in Western Pennsylvania, we will pick up two moderate Republicans in the suburbs in Philadelphia, and you can repeat that in Ohio and Wisconsin. Well, Ooh. how did that strategy work out in 2016? It didn't. Wow. We lost. That, he, Chuck Schumer admitted that their strategy was, okay, well, we'll lose some of the blue collar Democrats, but we'll appeal to these mythical moderate Republicans. To me, it's just bad politics. You've got to excite your base, especially when the majority of Americans have already made their minds up about Trump. You're not going to persuade people. Yeah. It's going to be a turnout election. Whoever can turn out their base can win. I know Trump is going to turn out his base. He's doing it right now with every lie he uh, with every lie he spouts. He turns out his base. I do not see Joe Biden doing enough to turn out his base. And it, when I say base, I mean the, the entire left and the progressive movement. And you know, he he's kind of thrown us a bone. I want to see him do more. And I want to look. I I will vote for Joe Biden, but the difference is like I want him to be able to win the left and I want him to be able to win. And there's a yeah. difference. Like, and, and, and I heard AOC this week say, yeah, she'll vote for Biden, but she's not going to endorse him yet until she sees him deepen his policy positions was her exact quote. You know, yeah. so I personally, like I can't, and I'm never going to vote for Trump. So yeah, if it's Trump or Biden, like I'll, vote for Biden, but I'm not going to campaign for him and, and, and endorse him and use all my energy if he's not going to get the left on board. Totally. And that's what, like, I keep seeing this blame game of, like, oh, you must be a Trump supporter if you're not excited about Biden or, um, or the, it's, it's all your fault if, if Trump wins. And it's like, so you're saying the left is important. Right. So, so win their vote win their vote and it's pretty easy to do i know a lot of people's like single issue is medicare for all and right. and that's where we are right now especially in the middle of a pandemic so just do it <laughs> right call it biden care i don't care <laughs> yeah, just give it whatever like, name you want we yeah. just need a universal single payer health care system in this country yeah Name it Joe Biden's the coolest dude in the world medical system. I don't care. <laughs> and even like, it's like he can, it's not the fact, we know it's going to take some time. It's not like it's going to be instant, but it's, we'll never have Medicare for all if we have a president who's against it or who won't support it. The whole, re, the whole way to get there is to fight for it, right? We got to fight back against the giant insurance companies, not mm. take money. We, you know, we gotta, we gotta fight to make sure our, our Congress people are on board and elect people like you who want it. Um, you know, we're kind of nearing the end of our podcast here. I, I, my last question for you is, what have you learned about yourself and what have you learned about America in running for Congress? Oh man, where do I start? <laughs> um, I, I learned about myself that I, I am who I am and. I'm I'm very transparent, and the other day I shared with my uh, with all of the Twitter verse that I was experiencing a lot of depression, and I had about two days where I just could barely get out of bed, and I learned about myself. Like in the beginning of my campaign, I was trying to find my footing, and I remember just like having panic attacks before I tweeted anything. 
And there was like one post that I put out about like my own mental health struggles. And I like took a couple of days and some very deep breaths before putting it out there. But I've learned that this isn't going to work if I'm not me. Mm. And that's exactly what I represent. My values are on paper on my website. My platform is mine. It's not influenced by any uh, corporation or political party or anything. I'm fighting for what I think is best for the country. And it kind of shows that it's working and we have a movement behind us. We have the most small dollars in the entire race. And I'm up against a 14-term incumbent. Mm. So thank you. Yeah, so I've learned about myself that um, I've learned to just be okay with being me all the time. And um, I'm, I'm happy about that. And then I learned about the country. There are so many... You think that it's like a Republican versus Democrat. You think it's like a corporate Democrat versus progressive Democrat thing. And it's so much worse. Because <laughs> even within um, the progressive side of things, um, I'm, I'm just learning that it's still very political. And it's still very like... Um, um, like getting clubs and organizations to say, okay, we're going to back somebody against a 14-term incumbent is still not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that's my job to, um, to, win, to win them over, but there is a lot that's preventing people like me from being in office, and that is because we're up against big money-funded people. We're up against people that are head of the oversight committee and people are afraid of losing that kind of influence although we don't really have influence because I consider her a very passive leader still Um, and you're up against so much systemically that we have also just learned and it goes back to like me just being okay with being me is um, you know what It's, it's sometimes hard to win over even the progressives but we're going to do it and we're out here fighting and it still shows like our movement is growing and it's successful and, and we're doing it. Um, but it's, uh, it's tough. And that's why if you're listening and you want to get behind a campaign that is fighting for you, every single dollar funds 20 calls that we make to check in on our neighbors and we are grassroots funded, and our average donation is $23, but love every single $1 donation because that's the working class working together and uniting. So if you're passionate about seeing people like me in office, throw a dollar our way if, if you can afford it and you're not in financial jeopardy right now. Um, and what's, also, What's our, the website they can go to to do that? Sure. So it's laurenashcraft.com. And also you can follow me on social media at Vote Ashcraft. And um, Ashcraft, there's so many... right? With an A. Yeah. Okay. A-F-T. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah um, I am not related to John Ashcroft. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's been interesting. But yeah, follow us online. Um, reach out with any questions. We have a little under... Actually, it's getting more like two months to go, so um, it's it's 
it's exciting, it's nerve-wracking, and we're building a movement as it's all happening, so it's pretty cool. I love that. You know, I the reason I admire people like you, Lauren, and I've really enjoyed our conversation today is po- politics is about power. It's all about power. But at the end of the day, it's about it's about the people in power, who are they using their power for? Mm-hmm. Are they using that power to make the po- you know, to make the rich and to make the rich and the you know the billionaire class better off and these giant corporations better off, or are they using their power to lift up and fight for and help everyday Americans? And that's why we need to get more people like you in power who want to get in there and actually fight and make a difference for the people. You know, our constitution says of, by, and for the people. You know, unfortunately, we've become a government that is of, by, and for the corporations. And, mm-hmm. and it, it's going to be a long fight, but you know, we can get one progressive in at a time. We just do this one race at a time. We will have a government again and a democratic party again that truly is different than the Republican party because it's not bought and paid for by corporations because we know the yeah. entire Republican party is bought and paid for by corporations. So let's be the party of main street. Let's be the party of everyday people. So yes. I just thank you for coming on the show today and uh, thank you for getting in the fight. I'm so inspired by you. And please, everyone, follow her on social media at Vote uh, Ashcraft. Yeah. And go and make a, a dollar donation. I'm going to go make a donation when I get off this <laughs> podcast. Thank so you. thank you, and I look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. I okay. do, too. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Oh, what a breath of fresh air. Yeah, she's awesome. And before we go out the show, I need to tell you about... The clean phone. Oh, this now, the, this is amazing. We have one in the studio here at the Stephanie Miller Show, and it, it's an oh. amazing piece of equipment. It, it cleans your phone. Seriously. Well, that's amazing. I, I can't go into the studio anymore, so I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> uh, now, more than ever, we are all thinking about our hygiene. We are washing our hands and sneezing into our arm, but we are still taking a huge carrier of virus with us everywhere. Phones are a vector for disease, mm-hmm. and we rarely clean them. We, constantly touch, we're, we are constantly touching our phones with our hands and yep. even pressing them to our face. Oh, yeah. It's to take cleaning your phone seriously. The Clean Phone Sanitizer uses medically proven UV light technology to kill 99.9% of all bacteria that comes into contact with your phone. Better than wipes and safe for your device. The Clean Phone gets every inch of your phone clean. Simply put your phone in the Clean Phone case and it will charge your phone while it sanitizes. Wow, you get a charge and a sanitizer. Exactly, that's the cool part about it. You can even use it to sanitize jewelry, keys, and other small items. Or sunglasses, eyeglasses, anything like that too, yeah. So go to thecleanphone.com today and get one for just $79 and free shipping. If you're serious about hygiene, it's time to get serious about cleaning your phone. Go to thecleanphone.com and keep your phone truly clean. That's thecleanphone.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Amped Up with Proud Resistor. I hope everybody is staying safe out there, and we'll catch you next week with an all-new episode.